So now we're going to turn our attention to the Scriptures and to hearing God's Word. We're working this summer through a series about, well, it's about the lack of normalcy in our world. What does it mean to, to be God's people at a time when it seems like the whole world has been turned upside down? There is no normal uh, in so many things that we look at right now. We're looking at uh, the book of First Peter, and the first audience reading this book scattered throughout the Roman Empire in what today is known as Turkey, they would have agreed with this thought that there's no normal, that the whole world has been turned upside down. They were a group of people who had been feeling at home in their city, at home in their culture, at home in their empire. They had grown up all their lives as Roman citizens. Some of them may have been from the city of Rome itself and have now been uprooted and things are turned upside down. Why? Because they've started trusting Jesus. And they've started following him and, and living in a way that, that didn't fit in with everyone else around them. So now they've begun to experience persecution and pressure. What kind of pressure? Well, we hear a bit of it in 1 Peter chapter 4. It says, the time that has passed suffices for doing what the nations want to do, living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. With respect to these things, they, your neighbors, are surprised when you don't join them in the same flood of debauchery, and they malign you. They, they speak ill of you because hey guys, you were at home, you, you used to fit in, and now you started trusting Jesus, and something's wrong. Now, now we've become, as God's people, if we're part of that first audience of First Peter, this minority, mistreated, pressured to conform, or else. So Peter says, he says something that he hopes will give his readers a clear vision of reality, a vision that will change the way we see the world, a vision that will change the way we live. He says, the end is near. Let's listen as he says that and other things as we hear this morning's scripture reading. Hoping we can move to that video here. There we go. There's Tom. Today's scripture reading is from 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 7 through 13. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's very grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you, but rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. This is the word of the Lord.
be to God. Let's take a moment and pray. Lord, help us to recapture the magic and mystery of your word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Do you ever have a toy like this? Uh, they're called wall walkers, right? And um, their feet and hands are these little gooey balls of, well, I don't know what they are, right? But they stick to stuff. But, but they don't stick forever, right? You throw them on a wall or a window, and then they kind of climb their way down. Well, in Christmas uh, 2017, in my stocking, there were a couple of these. One looked like Captain America. And we have a two-story house, and the way it's designed, there's this, there's this great wall in the uh, living room that's 20 feet high. And when you get a wall walker for Christmas, and you're sitting looking at a blank, empty, 20-foot-tall wall, what are you supposed to do? Well, you rip it out of the package and you throw it up there as high as you can get it, right? And then you watch it walk all the way down and it falls off and you do it again. And it's great fun on Christmas morning. So I rip out Captain America and fling him as high as I can get him. Bam, he sticks to the wall and he stays there. How long is he going to stay there? We don't know. We're thinking he's going to fall down at any minute. Well, we knew he could, right? He came out of the dollar section at Target. So this is not a high-quality wall walker. Um, at any moment, this thing could come down. So he kept staring, waiting, looking. It didn't come down. So went to sleep, got up the next morning. He's still up there. We keep looking, waiting. He could come down at any minute. We just don't know when it's going to happen. We keep looking and looking and looking for months and months. And finally, in June of 2019, Captain America, boom, falls down. Peter says that the end is near. Jesus could come at any moment. Verse 7, the end of all things is at hand. Jesus could come at any minute. We don't know exactly when. We keep looking. We keep waiting. Any day, one day, boom, he will come. Looking for the coming of Jesus is something that should give us a clear vision of reality. That's, that's what Peter wants us to hear this morning. When we look for Jesus' coming, that gives us a clear vision of reality. That's what he's talking about when he says in verse 7 that the end of all things is near. Back up and take a look at that detail. The end of all things is at hand. How do we know that when he says the end of all things, he's talking about the return of Jesus? Well, we see that at the end of our passage. Verse 13 talks about the glory of Jesus being revealed. So the end of all things is talking about the coming of Jesus when he returns again and his glory is seen in all of its fullness and enjoyed in all of the world. We get another hint at what that means and involves earlier in our scripture reading from verse 11. There's this detail that says that, uh, that God is full of glory and that Jesus, 
is full of glory. This guy is just really not working well this morning. So, I think, there we go. To him, to whom? To God or to Jesus? I mean, read the whole verse. All, everything about this scripture text is building up to one grand conclusion, that everything will point to the glory of God through Jesus Christ. That in everything, God will be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion, power, forever and ever. Amen. When does that happen? That happens when the glory of Jesus is revealed, says verse 13. What's another name for describing that? Well, verse 7 says, it's the end. It's the goal. We read the word end, and it sounds like something bad. Like, oh, the universe is going to expire on that date. But the Greek word for end also means goal. It's the goal that everything is heading toward. It's this time when the whole universe will enjoy in all its fullness the glory and power of God. That will happen when Jesus comes again, and that should give us a clear vision of reality. Knowing that everything is headed toward that goal should change our vision of reality. This is what we read in the second part of verse 7. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded. Be sensible. Have your wits about you. When you know that Jesus is coming back, when you know that everything is headed toward this great and glorious goal, it makes your, it makes your good head work. What? So, um, I like to run. I don't like to drink as much water as I should. That's a bad combination, right? It means that I've had a few experiences with dehydration. And the first time this happened, um, I was out in the yard doing some work, and Trisha walked out and handed me the phone. Someone had called me. I'm talking on the phone. I sit down to rest, and suddenly everything starts to get a little blurry, and my connection to reality starts to kind of get fuzzy. I can understand everything that the person on the other end of the phone is saying to me, but I cannot make my mouth move when it's time to say something back. So he begins to sense something's not right. And I stand up trying to see if that'll jumpstart my, my mouth. You know, somehow my body will work better. And um, it doesn't work. My knees go all wobbly and I'm, I wind up just lying on the ground and uh, I can understand everything that's going on around me. I just can't interact with anyone. I can't get my, my brain to communicate to my mouth. Everything is just off. And Trisha is very worried. She comes out to check on me and um, I want to comfort her and say something positive. And so I say to her, don't worry, my good head is working. Well, clearly, when you say it that way, your good head is not working, right? Um, you know, I'm trying to say, I'm trying to say my body's not functioning, but my mind is working fine. My good head is working. 
that, that image of, of, of being just out of phase, out of touch, everything is fuzzy, your connection with the world has gotten scrambled. It, it's the image of being intoxicated, drunk, hallucinating, dehydrated. It's the opposite of what these words mean. Be self-controlled and sober-minded. Your connection with the world should be enhanced and clarified when you understand that Jesus is coming back, that Jesus is the one we look to. We keep looking every day. We don't know when he will come. We don't know. But when we keep our eyes on him, it gives us a clear vision, a clear vision that changes everything. The first thing it will change is how we see our world. Let's look at that. So, uh, a clear vision of the world. What happens when we start to look at the world in light of the coming of Jesus is that we no longer see a world of endless suffering and unstoppable evil. We see suffering, and we see evil. No doubt about that. But the suffering isn't endless. The evil isn't unstoppable. There is a goal toward which things are moving. And when Jesus comes, the suffering will end. When Jesus, the King, returns in all His glory and power, all evil will cease. We no longer see a world in which our only hope is just to give in. We no longer live in a world where we're constantly being badgered and pressured and said, hey, you, you used to be a lot of fun. You used to really fit in to our world. And then you, you started believing in Jesus. And now it's like you're a different person. And you know what? He's not coming back. He's given up on you, so why don't you just give up on him? Captain America ain't coming down. So why don't you just forget about him? Well, if we lose sight of reality and our good head isn't working, those things can start to sound like they make a lot of sense. There's so many awful things happening in this world. And it looks like it's never going to end. And, and evil looks unstoppable in all its many forms. I cannot even identify them all, let alone resist them all simultaneously. And even if I could, I'm only one little person. And everything wrong about the world seems to be so powerful and pervasive and there's no hope. Those messages start to make a lot of sense. And so God says to us, don't, don't, don't forget about him. He will come down. Don't stop looking to Jesus. The evil is here, but it's not unstoppable. The suffering is real, but is not endless. So instead of seeing that kind of world, we start to see the world through a new lens. The lens becomes the story of Jesus himself. Peter writes about that in verse 13. He says, he mentions the sufferings of Jesus, and he talks about the glory of Jesus being revealed. Notice the story of Jesus in this verse, right? 
his, his crucifixion and his resurrection, his, his life of poverty and misery ended with resurrection glory. Rejoice as you share in Christ's sufferings so that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. There's the story of Jesus. It gives us a new lens to look at the world. We look at the whole world in light of this lens, a lens of a crucified and resurrected Savior. And now hear the good news that your story has been written into that story, that God is writing your story into the story of Jesus, right? And and that's what I've highlighted on this slide. Rejoice because you share in Christ's sufferings. Your sufferings aren't just random, isolated events. They're part of a bigger story. And at the heart of that story is a Savior who suffered for the redemption of the world. So whenever life hurts, we can look to Jesus and say, you remember what it's like to hurt, don't you? And when we feel worn out and exhausted, like we can't go on a moment longer, we can turn to Jesus and say, Jesus, you remember what it was like to cry out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me, don't you? All the hard things we experience are being written into the story of one who has experienced hard things. And then he writes us into the rest of his story as well so that we can also rejoice and be glad on the day that his glory is revealed because we will share that glory. We remember that there was a time when it it seemed like evil had won and Jesus had lost and he was dead and buried in the grave and everybody who loved and trusted him had only one option which was to weep and wail. But that wasn't the end of the story. And evil didn't win that time, and it won't win in the end. The end is coming. Jesus will return, and we will see what it means that our story is written into his story. That gives us a new lens for looking at the whole universe Evil is very successful right now. It will not be successful in the end. Suffering is everywhere right now. It will not be anywhere when Jesus returns. Gives us a totally new lens on the world we live in. It means this. It means we can be realistic about suffering and evil. Listen to what Peter says about this new vision of the world that we live in. When we see that Jesus has written us into his story, it means we can be realistic about suffering and evil. I don't know if you remember that detail of the scripture text. You may have it in front of you on your worship guide. Verse 12 says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes on you to test you, as though something strange were happening. Listen, if the story of the universe is designed around a Savior who suffered and died, then we will not be surprised if our story involves suffering. 
It won't catch us off guard. It will hurt. It will feel like fire. But it won't shock us. It won't leave us dazed and confused so that our connection to reality gets scrambled. We can be honest about the reality of suffering and evil. There is no pain-free option. You can know the pain of following Jesus and identifying with His sufferings. Or you can know the pain of rejecting Jesus and being distant from Him now and forever. But there is no pain-free option. I wish there were. I've tried to create them. They don't work. They don't last. And believers in Jesus have that sense of reality. We can look at the world and not be caught off guard that evil and suffering are real. And we can be very realistic about our own weakness. Verse 7 says this, The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. We're people who look at the world and we go, God, i got to talk to you about it. i got to pray. And the first thing i got to say to you, Father, is this world is too big for me. I cannot handle it. It is throwing more at me than I can take. And the next thing i got to say to you is, Father, it is not too big for you. Having that kind of clarity about our prayers is one of the benefits of having this new vision of reality. Everything becomes clear. I start to see, no, I I don't have what it takes. So I've got to ask someone who does. That's all that prayer is. Just standing before the Father and saying, it's too much for me. I can't handle it. It's not too much for you. Can you handle this? Because I sure can't. All of that is the fruit of this new vision of how we see the world. One other fruit. This new vision. Remember, when we reflect on the return of Jesus and His coming, it gives us a new vision. Changes how we see the world and also changes how we live. See if you can hear the main theme of how our life gets changed as I read through verses 8 and 10. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another. as good stewards of God's buried grace. The world is not just about me. The clarity we have when we think of Jesus and we begin to see the whole world through the lens of His story of suffering followed by glory, of death followed by resurrection, of Good Friday followed by Easter Sunday. When we start to see the whole world through that lens, It snaps us back into reality, and we say, you know what? The world is not just about me. 
I'm part of a story that doesn't focus on self. Jesus didn't die focused on self. He died focused on others. He didn't rise again and then say, that's it, I got the prize, the rest of you are suckers. Y'all lost, I won, I'm out of here. He shares his resurrection glory with his people. It's a story that is not focused on self. The world is not just about me. So when it comes to loving other people, verse 8, keep loving one another. Because love covers a multitude of sins. I don't look at the world and say, who will love me? If I give all this love away, there won't be any for me. I'll run out. And if nobody gives me any, I'm left with nothing. We start to see the world through a lens that says there is a Savior filled with infinite love, self-giving love. I can give love away every day for the rest of my life, and He will still have more to give me. He will love me. So I'm free to love other people. It's a story that's not just about me. One other thought here. Just think for a moment about verse 9, hospitality. Well, Peter is writing to people for whom hospitality meant there are Christians who live in other parts of the Roman Empire. They're going to be traveling through your part of the world. They don't have hotels to stay in. Somebody has to give them a free place to stay and feed them. Show hospitality without grumbling. Wait a minute, Peter, that's not very convenient. I live in a very small house. Most houses in the Roman Empire aren't that large. And so where am I going to put them? I mean, we're going to be tripping over each other for days. How long are they staying with me? Weeks? That's not very convenient. It's not very realistic. Sorry, Mr. Missionary Preacher Guy, headed off to share Jesus with people who have never heard about him. Could you come back when it's more convenient? And this bit about giving them food for free every day? Guess what? I live in a world where I don't know where my next meal is coming from. My savings plan, I feel good if I've got 24 hours worth of resources saved up. That's how the economy works for most people in the Roman Empire. Can you come back when I can afford it? Wait a minute. Jesus is never going to run out of resources. Jesus is never going to stop welcoming me. Jesus didn't just love me when it was convenient. I start to look at hospitality through that lens. It's totally different. If I look at it through the lens of just me, well, I'll never be able to afford it. I'll, I'll, it'll never be convenient to show generosity toward other people. But if I look at it through the lens of the story of Jesus, which is a story that was never just about self, And suddenly, suddenly I see that God has an infinite supply of resources to care for me. I was having a conversation with my dad recently. He's part of a Christian ministry called Faith Home. It's a drug and alcohol rehab 
uh, Center for Men and Women in upstate South Carolina. And uh, several of my aunts are part of, and uncles are part of another ministry in my hometown of Abbeville, South Carolina, called Abbeville County United Christian Ministries. Well, Daddy was recently talking to some people involved with both of those organizations and asking them, do you have some particular financial needs right now? I mean, it's a tough time economically for everybody, so wondering if your ministry is suffering as a result. And the response he heard back from both of these organizations was, buddy, thank you for asking, but here's what God is doing. It's amazing. We're doing better now than ever financially. Our, our past donors are, are increasing what they're giving above and beyond. Since this crisis started, they're giving more now than they did before. And new donors are coming to us, never gave before, started in March. This crisis hits, and it's unbelievable. I mean, what a great story. What an encouragement. My dad was encouraged to hear this. I was encouraged to hear it. You see the pattern in an upside-down world where everything's viewed through the lens of self? You would say crisis moment like this, this is the moment to focus on self. This is the moment to stop being generous. This is the moment to wait until it's less costly or more convenient. And then I'll focus on the needs of other people. But right now, it's all about me. But people who are looking for the coming of Jesus see the world in a whole new way that says, this is the moment of crisis Oh, this must be the moment to give generously, to show hospitality, to care for the needs of others. This must be the moment to love without looking for excuses to continue old conflicts. This is the moment to cover over a whole lot of sin with more love. This is the moment to remember that we're part of a story it's not about self. It's about Jesus. It changes everything. It gives us a whole new perspective. And it makes us long more than ever for his return. Let's take a moment and pray together. Lord Jesus, thank you for your mercy. Thank you for not living for yourself alone but living for the good of others. Thank you for following that path all the way to an agonizing death and following that path to a glorious resurrection. We look to you for all things, our Savior. Amen.